0: to the vet podcast by the vet gurus brendan and mark get ready for the latest veterinary news information and entertainment don't forget to visit us at the vet gurus website vetgurus.com now sit back relax it's over to the vet gurus brendan and mark
1: welcome vet gurus brendan with mark episode 184 april the 9th 2021 and a big hello to all our new subscribers, Mark. They're, they're coming out of the woodwork or the the um, consult rooms, um, out of the freezers. <laughs> Who knows where they're coming out of? But we have had a few good, interesting list of new subscribers coming through by the statistics that we've got here and the emails as we were talking off air before this podcast has started recording, Mark. The emails are flooding in, aren't they?
0: What was the um, collective name for a bunch of emails all at once? Whatever it is, we've got Uh, them. uh, Yes, that's right.
1: Yes, a bunch of emails. And I think I'm going to do a little shout-out to one, Um, and this will be our first entrant. Well, it's not really a competition. It's a giveaway, Mark. That's how we're going to announce it. It's a (laughs) giveaway, and that way we avoid any legal ramifications of running an online competition it's just a giveaway a random giveaway of lots of swag lots of goodies and the first person who is in the running for that is Val Val from Georgia in the USA hi Val thank you for your email to say hello to us and um, Val's been listening to us for I was going to say 20 years. No, she's been a veterinary nurse for over 20 years. And every time she listens to us, she learns so much. Oh, she must be talking about another podcast. (laughs) Not our podcast. And um, she loves our podcast and she loves the reviews that we do. And the main topics that we have, well, hopefully we can keep up to our usual back <laughs> with this week's podcast. And yes, Val, you're in the list, you in the list of people, a list of one at the moment. So you're in the running. I think you've got 100% chance of winning it because you've sent us an email. And I did say that we would not open up the email competition until episode 190 for our 200th episode but i've already broken that promise and yes anybody who sends us an email from now on mark vetgurus at gmail dot com, to say hello and just talk a little bit about themselves or where they work or about what part of the world they're from then they're
0: in the running mark it's that simple and brendan i've been um, excited by other communication as well. Um, one of our regular emailers, Riley um, from uh, from uh, Indiana State University, um, has asked us to have a little talk about birds, and so I've been rapid, r- really. Diligently studying and preparing for a uh, a little bit of a Zoom discussion uh, later this week um, with the um, with the, the graduating some of the students from the graduating class of twenty twenty two to talk about nutrition in birds. Brendan,
1: now what time? Of the day, well, that be like three in the morning that you have to do that.
0: <laughs> no, it works out to be, I think it works out 11am for us here, but 7pm um, for them there. Or maybe it's the other way around. I'll figure it out on the day. Excellent. Well,
1: if I'm not consulting or my hand's inside an animal, Mark, I will be, um, you may find that you have a little person tagging in there listening to you intently.
0: Uh, It'll it'll make uh, it'll be just so much better to have your contribution. As always, Brendan. We can tell a few dad jokes, can't we? <laughs> um, but
1: no, that's it, that is exciting. So yes. Um we always look forward to emails, as I've mentioned. Vetgurus.com is the place to go and poke around there, look at our previous episodes, subscribe if you haven't, Mark. Um I've got a quick film review, Mark. I know I didn't tell you about this, but I have a <laughs> Quick, a quick film review. Um, over the Easter weekend and here, I don't know about the rest of the world, but we had a few days off um, here, sort of a long weekend, basically, or a four-day weekend. And I, I sat down and I, I streamed a, a movie, Mark, The Dry. Have you heard of The Dry, an Australian mystery drama thriller?
0: I have film. heard of it. I've, I've been looking forward to making time to see it. Is, I'm very keen now to hear your review.
1: It was I thoroughly enjoyed the dry, and I'm, I'm not going to give away the plot on this one because it's a bit of a, a mystery or a thriller, um, and there's a there's a potential. Well, there is some murder in there or death in there. Not necessarily murder, but you'll find out. Well, actually, there is. There's a bit of blood, a bit of blood. Um, and it stars Eric Banner, um, the Australian actor, and, um, yeah, he's – is, is not a member of a SWAT team mark um, it's I love the fact this film was filmed in my state here mark in Victoria um, and it's based on a, a fairly fairly famous novel um, that um, was called surprisingly enough the dry um, by Jane Harper who's an English person she's an Englishwoman and yet um, the way she wrote this novel, and annie i haven't read it myself, but annie has and um it's very evocative of the country the way it it explains and 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 paints a picture of the basically a drought um in inland victoria here mark and it's sort of an area that people wouldn't think about melbourne um for people who have just come here as a tourist um that we do have deserts, don't we, Mark? We have the little desert and we have the big desert, don't we, in Victoria? In the, <laughs> Imaginatively
0: named, as usual. That,
1: that's right, yes. It's a typical sort of Australian way of, 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 of calling a spade a spade, Mark. Um, the little desert and the big desert. And yeah, it was filmed around that sort of area um, on location in Victoria. And the feel of this movie, I just loved it, you know, the, the look of it um, and a good plot. Um, I must admit, Mark. Once you once you watch, you'll have to tell me if you picked who did it, Mark. And I did pick who did it, whatever that may be. But I picked who did it. So, and it goes for about well the usual one hundred and twenty minutes or so, uh, maybe a little bit less. And yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Well acted, um, and the supporting cast. In um, they had a little a little featurette after it because I. I Purchased it online, um, and they had the sort of the making of featurette. And um, interestingly enough, some of the extras that were in the film were just locals, Mark. Like um, somebody from the pub, um, <laughs> and they got them to serve the serve the the lunch meal at the pub. And they said, "Gee, they're good at acting. Let's get them in a few other <laughs> um, So, so it's quite good. I just really like the feel of it, and um, yeah, well made. And, and it was a good film, Mark. I think, yeah, it's. <sighs> 8.6. It has to be an 8.6 out of 10, Mark. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and, um, yeah, I highly recommend it. The Dry, it is called. And I'll link to it in our show notes
0: at vetgurus.com. You've wetted my appetite, Brendan.
1: Get out there and see it. And if you don't want to get out there and see it and, and catch the rona, then – Stay in and see it, and you can stream it, Mark. It's available for downloading um, and for purchase online with most of the usual um, online distributors, Mark. So there you go, the dry. Um, and we've co- well, uh, oh, we got some news items, haven't we? Do you want to take the first one, um, and I'll try and look at what my first one was <laughs> while you while you talk about
0: your dreams. My, my, this is one of my. Um, uh, favorite most recent stories um, and before when we were doing our uh, three hour long preparation for this we did have a bit of a discussion about the video that uh, that accompanied this um so this article is um, about op- how octopuses uh, dream more like um, gifts than visions um, so uh, it's a there's so much about octopuses that are that are fascinating, you know the 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 fact that they, the way they move, the way they live, the time frame of their lives, the, their their intelligence—all these things are intensely interesting and um, and generally um, uh, draw draw our attention, draw people's attention to them. And I know it was a, a couple of months ago we reviewed my uh, octopus teacher, Um, and it's another example of this uh, connection that people have with octopuses. But um, this research uh, by uh, scientists in Brazil showed that um, octopuses, which are already considered uh, amongst the smartest of animals and definitely amongst the smartest invertebrates, um, experience two major alternating sleep states, eerily similar to those in humans, and um, indicated that there may even be dreams involved, um, and, it, and to me, it doesn't—it's uh, no big surprise that this—you um, uh, know—octopuses do possess complex and sophisticated neurobiology, and um, you know the the fact that they can learn, the fact that they um, uh, have uh, the. the And so much of their neurobiology is manifest in those colour changes that we see on the outside. So when they are angry or their emotions are literally waved around like a big red flag in front of us. So, um, And there has been on the internet that footage of uh, an octopus in an aquarium um, that was... Apparently asleep, um, and the colour changes that seem to go through the time lapse photography of that octopus were, to my mind, highly suggestive of the animal dreaming. Um, and in this one, they actually note in this study they actually noted that uh, the colour changes were were clearly associated with two distinct sleep states. Quite. An active sleep, where the, in the quiet sleep, the octopus remained still, had pale skin, and eye pupils contracted to a slit. Whereas in active sleep, the dynamically changing colours of its skin and texture and eyes all indicated um, that something was happening in its brain. And in addition to this, there's, you know, contraction of the suckers and the arms and mus- muscular body twitches. It sounds a lot like you when... Um, when you're approaching that stage of sleep, Brendan. Um,
1: no comment. <laughs> no and comment with that. Uh,
0: <sighs> they they noted a repeating cycle. Quiet sleep lasted uh, seven minutes, and active sleep lasted less than a minute. Um, and it and the researchers suggested this was analogous to uh, rapid eye movement sleep and non-REM sleep. Uh, states experienced by people as well as um, other mammals, birds and reptiles, other vertebrates. So that's pretty cool, I reckon, Brendan. I reckon they should call it RSM sleep,
1: Mark. Rapid sucker movement sleep. What do you reckon? (laughs) I'm with you all the (laughs) way
0: whenever it comes to rapid sucker movement.
1: (laughs) Yes. Fascinating article and, and even more one reason why we shouldn't be eating octopuses, Mark, I think. Because they're pretty smart animals and they may be dreaming. They may be dreaming, but not longer if we've eaten those suckers, Mark. Um, and, oh, gee, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here to you.
0: Do, you are, you I, are I, shooting off tangents all in every direction <laughs> yes. today.
1: Yes, I think the caffeine's kicked in, Mark, tonight. Um, octopuses or octopi?
0: Oh this or, is this as a childhood I I remember or, distinctly or, in first class where or the
1: third one is octopodes mark did you know octopodes
0: I've developed a um a thought process about um language that I like it to be very precise you know brendan I'm 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 all about pedantry when it comes to language I like it to be just so but as I've gotten older the insistence that comes with that pedantry, that uh, pursuit of communica- communicative perfection, I've gotten relaxed about it. As long as the concept gets across, you can say octopodes, octopi, octopus. I'm happy with all those. People, everyone knows that you're trying to say more than one octopus, and I'm good with any of them.
1: That's a very diplomatic reply there, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> well, the background is that the three main plurals, Mark, come from the three different supposed um, origins. So octopi is from the belief that it was Latin origin. Octopuses is the next plural, which is from English ended because you put ES on the end. And octopodes is from Greek, Mark, um, from the Greek end, end So, which is correct. Well, these days they they tend to um, tend to think um, you should either chew octopuses or octopi. Mark um, octopodes is, is is not popular at the moment, so the Greek um, derivation um, is is certainly not popular. It'll probably come back at some stage, but I think you are correct in that there's is there'll be an eternal argument, won't there, about the. Um, Well, maybe just between the two of us and nobody else in the world (laughs) about the many plurals of octopus, Mark, and which one you should use. I
0: I do just want to point out that I was marked incorrect in kindergarten when I said it was octopi. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Gee, you were pretty advanced in kindergarten, weren't you? My one and only news story, Mark, is about... It's about um, natural selection, isn't it? It's another natural selection story. <laughs> you man, do love uh, the Darwin Awards, <laughs> <laughs> man. And and there's two reasons why I I picked this one out is I've been to this particular zoo, and I could see that gee he was on a mission. This man, because to actually do this s- silly thing that he did, he he would have had to um, pass numerous signs that will warn him in against doing it. And also um, other episodes of this sort of behavior, Mark. Man arrested after taking his daughter, a two-year-old, into the zoo elephant habitat, Mark. In San Diego Zoo, he decided to carry his two-year-old daughter into the elephant habitat. To take a photograph with the animals, as you do, Mark. Um, he wanted a close up. He didn't have a he didn't have a zoom lens as 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 good as yours, Mark. He needed to get up and close. He only had a twenty mil. He had a wide angle lens, Mark, and he needed to get very close up to the bull elephant there. And he, he bypassed multiple signs saying "Do not do this." Um, and he got in there, and then um, people yelling out, "Get out! It's going to charge at you!" And it did. Um, and he tried to run out, and he dropped the child as he ran. <laughs> he didn't deliberately drop the child, Mark. And then he picked up the child again, and then quickly passed the toddler through the fence. Um, and he managed to escape. He managed to escape unharmed. Um, he's now been held on a one hundred thousand dollar US bail, Mark, for an in- investigation into child endangerment. And his court case case was a couple of days ago, March the thirtieth. So we'll see. I haven't seen any update about this, Mark. So why do people do this, Mark? Um, I mean, the one that I always remember and I often or reasonably often mention to, to veterinary students when I'm giving lectures when I go off on one of my tangents is uh, the, the lady who decided she wanted to become one with the polar bear, Mark, in the polar bear enclosure and she did become one with the polar bear um yes um why do you think people want to they want to commune with nature do they
0: yeah i i think there's
1: a i mean i'm sure some of these people obviously have mental health issues and that's not not something to be laughed at but um apart you know if we Discount that. Not that we should ever discount mental illness. Um, I still think we have some people who are just foolish. Foolish, yes.
0: Yeah, I do. I think you're right. I think there is a subset of people who do this sort of stuff who are who are suffering some form of um, a mental illness, and we should be careful and respectful and try and set things up so they can't um, do themselves or anyone else any harm, or the animals for that matter. But there are there is a uh, uh another subset, another cohort who um, who just seem to you know they're rebellious, they're not going to follow the rules and uh, they are going to try and do things um, misapprehending the level of danger um, misapprehending the, the you know level of safety uh, thinking that um, zoo animals are, are not wild animals and are going to behave, Maybe in the way of the cartoons, or um, maybe in the way that some of the ways they've seen on social media, um, and um, they make sometimes fatal errors. So, so yeah, I I I do think it's a little class of issues that zoos have to take into account in enclosure design, um, because if there's a way that someone can find their way in, almost certainly they will. And maybe they want. Some of them
1: want to be a YouTube star, or they're a vlogger, Mark. Um, they want. They want fame potentially. I think that might be a possible reason with some of these people. But yes, silly man, silly man. That's my story. I don't know whether it's a good one or a bad one. Um, it's a sad one. I sad think. one.
0: I it's agree. A it's one. a sad one.
1: Well, let's jump into our main story, Mark. Our main news topic this week. Gee, it's a.
0: Oh, it's an you, interesting one. It's we a can of <laughs> worms. You've opened a can of worms, Brandon. It's a can of spores, I think, Mark.
1: <laughs> we are going to talk about encephalitazoan cuniculi. so EC in rabbits, Mark. So, gee, we could talk on night all day, all morning on this, but we are going to distill <laughs> distil it, Mark. We are going to distill the, the problem and EC in rabbits. And, So I'm I'm going to
0: ask you some questions, Brendan. We're going to do this punchy. What is E. caniculae? What is it?
1: That's a good question, that one, Mark. That's a good question. Probably the most correct answer that I would usually say is it is an atypical fungus, Mark. It's an atypical fungus. So it's microsporidia a spore forming parasite but it's actually yeah it's basically an atypical fungus based on the you know latest phylogenetic studies that they've been looking at it um and most of the textbooks and most of the publications talk about it being a a microsporidian don't they a, 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 an intracellular parasite that's my answer
0: it does it does feel like with encephalitis zone that you do have to keep up with the um latest um research because they it does seem to be that uh as more and more DNA data um becomes available there's new insights into its taxonomy and other things as well so um that's why we probably will do this sort of discussion once every year or so the way it scales yes so, so when uh, when it infects rabbits what are the signs? How how how, and, how many rabbits get infected? You know that first question's a good one, Mark, <laughs> because I think it
1: it leads on to all our other questions. In that it's a difficult subject, isn't it? I mean, you know, trying to explain to a client when they say, "Okay, what is EC? What is this condition that my rabbit has that it may or may not be showing clinical signs?" And we go down that rabbit hole, Mark, and we talk for half an hour about um, whether it's a atypical fungus or not. And uh, meanwhile, the consults are banking up in the waiting room.
0: It is and one we- of the greyest of grey areas in exotic veterinary medicine, exotic animal veterinary medicine, isn't it, Brendan? That's the way I think of it, that yes. pretty and when we- much everything you say has to be predicated on, we think this at the moment, <laughs> Yes,
1: and especially when we get onto the aspects of treatment options with this particular organism, Mark. So you said, what are the signs of it? Well, the signs can be nothing, um, and that's because, and I might be jumping around a little bit here, Mark, um, that a fair percentage of rabbits... A large percentage, depending on which studies you look at, um, will have antibodies to this organism. So, And they may never show clinical signs of disease. And that could be anything from... A few percent, up to you know seventy or eighty percent plus, depending on the population that's been surveyed, Mark. So, and this is a pretty tricky one for you know I think vets, let alone clients, to get their head around um, the fact that this is an organism that that your animals potentially um, been exposed to, and it it may or may not be causing the signs that we think. While we're talking about this discussion of this organism with you and your rabbit, um, because the signs can be varied, can't they, Mark? And that's probably the next thing you're going to ask me, was it?
0: <laughs> well, I was, was going to ask you about the signs um, and where the organism lives in the rabbit.
1: Yeah, and those two, obviously, are sort of interrelated
0: there, Mark. So which is why I asked. <laughs> which makes ever. sense.
1: So the main spots we think about and and the classic one there when when and, and I know a lot of our listeners will be thinking of the head tilt rabbit, and that's the classic with it, is that you know, head tilt rabbits, um EC is often one of the first things that people think about with head tilts. And we have done a previous episode that talks about the other cause of a head tilt in rabbits as well, Mark, and the other big one there is um other infectious causes, um, um, peripheral causes, so inner ear infections especially. Um So EC can cause head tilt due to its predilection for sitting in the brain, Mark. Um, So the spores can sit in the brain. The other spots where it sits are other areas of the neurological system, so the spinal cord, but also in two other interesting places, Mark, the kidneys. So we should not discount this organism being part of the process of why we see so much Renal compromise in rabbits, especially older rabbits, that part of it may be due to the EC that sit in there. And the final one is in the eye mark. Um, So it sits in the eye and it sits, it it destabilizes the, the lens capsule. So we end up seeing with the EC positive ones where they are causing issues in the eye. We see this classic uveitis and and typically it's called a a fancy name, isn't it? A phacoclastic uveitis is what um, the classic description or the phrase that's used for it. So they're the spots, the kidneys, the eye, the neurological system, Mark, especially the brain.
0: And and what do you do, Brendan? How, like how do you work this up? How do you, um, after you've had your hour-long consult with the client, you've got a rabbit that's showing some of these signs, um, and what do you do next? Yeah, So we have a rabbit that has a head tilt there
1: and the client will do a talk to Google search and they'll say, it has this EC condition and they bring the, the rabbit into you with this obvious head tilt. And these head tilts, Mark, can't they? They can be dramatic in some of these animals, almost like a 180 degree spin of the head um, with that rabbit, or even just a very mild head tilt with or without nystagmus, depending on um, that particular individual. And And yes, how do we start Trying to nut out whether it is due to EC or due to some other other condition, well, this is this is where it gets difficult, doesn't it? Um, and the difficulty is that um, because a large percentage of rabbits will test positive on the serology market it doesn't necessarily tell us that much. And the way I usually um, work with the with the results there, and in Australia, and and um, we. It, it, We send it off and and the results might come back a few days later or they might take several weeks to come back um, and the result will just say EC positive or EC negative um, with that sort of standard testing that we do. Um, And the way I talk to the client about it is I I tell them, look, a positive test doesn't confirm that the head tilt in this rabbit is caused by e.cuniculi, but a negative one, a negative test um, has a high chance of making it Unlikely to be the cause of the head tilt, so that's the way I view it, Mark. It's never a hundred percent with with any sort of test, is it? And and if it tests negative, it doesn't nec- It may have tested negative even though it had EC, but the chances of EC causing that head tilt, if it did test negative, is is pretty slim. Um, and there has has been there has been some. There has been some um, work on trying to diagnose it based on IgG and IgM antibodies, Mark, and um, again, the the results are... A little gray. bit conflicting. And gray. and gray. Yeah. Gray is probably the best, best comment there, Mark, isn't it? Trying to distinguish between active and latent infections as the aim of, of, of looking at, um, looking a bit more, more deeply at some of these, um, these teeters, et cetera, with them. Um, and same story with, um, they've even messed around with trying to look at, you know, doing PCR sort of testing and that. Um, And PCR um, can certainly give you a yes, this animal's been exposed to it. And and I've had sort of... um, um, the other the, the other way to test is th- those ones where we end up taking out the eye where we're suspicious of e caniculi sending off the eye there for the histo, and um, um, depending on that they can the, the pathologists are pretty confident with 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 some of the results when they come back and say yeah this was a definite e- choriocili uveitis in the rabbit so so yeah d- the diagnosis or the confirmation mark can be tricky so what other options have we got um, diagnostically with these animals I mean, and getting back to basics with them, I do that that full clinical examination of them. I'm trying to look at for that other possible cause of the head tilted in the rabbits, and that's that um, peripheral um, vestibular type disease um, cause. So we're we're looking down the ear of that rabbit. We're doing at least plain radiographs of the head of that rabbit, and looking for any signs of changes in that tympanic bulla um, or or. A, you know, a, a middle or inner ear full of pus, um, which tends to indicate that it's that rather than the e-cunicula. Um And unless we don't look, we're not going to find those. And I certainly see a fair percentage of rabbits that have head tilt where we diagnose um, a, a middle or an inner ear um, problem there, mark infectious sort of cause there rather than echiniculae. Not to say that these animals may still have echiniculae sitting there in the background as well. Um, we have advanced imaging as well. And that's um, doing our doing our MRIs or our CT scans, and we occasionally do have a client who wishes to um, take their rabbit off for that testing as well. Um, we do full bloods, and um, we do our basic full bloods as well. So we're looking at. That sort of seeing whether or not we've got a classic sort of inflammatory leukogram going on there, um, indicating that we have um, that may be pointing towards a, you know, infectious cause and whether it may be a, maybe a bacterial type infectious cause or not. But they're only sort of rough guides, aren't they, Mark? So have I missed any other obvious sort of um, testing protocols for, for differentiating EC in no, these head tilt?
0: I do like your, um your, the comments that you made about. Um, not assuming and searching for those other things because because it is grey and you're sort of feeling around in the dark. Just depending on any one single test um, is almost invariably going to let you down, and so you have got to do your blood, do your um, uh, your your uh, um, uh, serology, do your um, uh, radiographs, and form an impression um, from the totality of the information rather than uh, just depending on a single test. Yes, yes.
1: Because, you know, in my mind, the only way we're going to definitely confirm that that particular rabbit had a head tilt due to EC is you get the brain out of that rabbit um, and you not only see those spores or that organism in the brain of the rabbit, but those spores are causing a granulomatous inflammatory response in the region of the brain that is involved with balance, Mark. Um, and that would be my my sort of um, fairly fairly certain still not a hundred percent that that animal um, had a caniculi, and that's what was causing the head tilt in it um, then you can take the brain back to the client and say there we go it did have a say, you were correct so, <laughs> so <laughs> let's,
0: let's assume that um, we haven't been able to, to do Brendan's definitive test. <laughs> Um, But we have formed the impression that we're very likely to have an animal that's uh, being affected by E. caniculae. How do you treat them, Brendan? Oh, now this is a real
1: (laughs) can of worms, isn't it, Mark? This is the can of words. And yes, we have sort of two handouts for our clients, and and one (laughs) is sort of the diagnostic approach. And I think one of the lines I have in that is that we need to do the basic workup that the, the survey RADs and the bloods um, and and the serology. And unless we're doing that, we're just guessing. Um, we need some information. And then the second hand is talking about the potential treatment regimes for them. And and that one's a bit of a tricky one as well, Mark, because basically what everybody, always people reach for is – Variations on, on Fembendazole, Mark, our, our, our benzimidazole drugs, Mark, albendazole, et cetera, Fembendazole. And this is all based on that one paper that was written, I don't know, 1980 something, was it, Mark? I know I should have pulled it out. It's my research, um, is pretty slack at the moment. Um, <laughs> Where they did a they did a bit of a, a a short study where they infected some rabbits and they um with the caniculi organism and um treated some of them with the um. Fembendazole and, and others not, um, got the brains out, see, see whether they had any um, supposed response to the treatment. Um, and, they cho- and and a couple of things about the paper it was a very small study and, and nobody's really done any decent longer-term bigger studies that I know of that have sort of um, confirmed this and also um um, confirm the sort of dose rates is, um, and the and the legend is that they they and that's the reason why people choose a particular dose rate um, and, and dose amount and the length of time is 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 twenty eight days. They choose twenty eight days, four weeks, or, or thirty days, or so for the fembendazole, and that's because the the study designers supposedly. I've I've never had it confirmed, but it's been mentioned. in in legend that um, the only reason why they chose 30 days or 28 days is, you know, how long are we going to give them the medication for? Let's choose four weeks because that's a good round number, four weeks. Let's just make it four weeks. Um, And that's how they chose the four weeks. So most people end up using these drugs or giving the animal these drugs for four weeks um, because that's all we've got, Mark. Um, But the concern is, as increasingly we're worrying about um, toxicity with these. Benzema dissolves, aren't we? Um, so you know, it may be that you only need to do one day, or you may need to do a year's worth of treatment, or the dose needs to be ten times the amount, or or one fifth of the dose. Um, who knows? Because we we just do not know. And and I think we're always um we always love to say that, yeah, we're 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 the we're we're the superhumans and we're the we're the best um, vet in the world, and that we gave this treatment to the animal and the animal improved, therefore our treatment fixed that animal. Um, and I think this these sorts of conditions where they have um, potential issues, especially with the brain, um, mark, is that the tincture of time, you know so we do not know how much just giving that animal some time to rewire its brain and to work out that, hey, my head's on the tilt. Um, I need to stop doing that or no, no, I need to be able to cope with my head on the tilt all the time and then learn to live a relatively normal life with the head on the tilt. And some of these are amazing that they can have a pretty severe obvious head tilt, and yet they go on to live quite a normal life, even though that head tilt stays pretty severe for the le- life of that animal.
0: The so, thing too is that... Um it's, it, there's no uh, obvious mechanism of action that, um, the way that, um, yes. fenbendazole works, its antihelmintic properties wouldn't immediately make you think that it's, um, going to be active against a, a, um, an atypical spore forming fungus. Um, yes. And there yes. are some arguments that, um, that the, that one of the side effects of, um, of fenbendazole is to limit the development of granulomatous inflammatory action in nervous tissue. And so it's been sort of grasped as that's its mode of action. But as you said, there's very little hard and fast evidence to prove that fenbendazole actually makes any difference to these rabbits.
1: Yeah, so it's, you know, this whole condition and syndrome and disease process, it's fraught with ifs and buts and as you've mentioned at the start a lot of gray mark a lot of gray um so so personally and it's just the way i approach these animals um with these head tilts it's 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 the exception um that i will put on fembendazole mark um rather than the 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 opposite way around, and I and, and, and I'm always I'm increasingly wary of of using the shotgun therapy for these sorts of conditions, and unfortunately that's what we see with with a, a, a reasonable number of these that might end up getting referred to as marking that they, that the vets are, are doing the old let's just cover it for everything, let's put it on fimbendazole, let's let's put it on. Um, broad-spectrum, multiple antibiotics as well. And and let's put it on an anti-inflammatory and some meloxicam. And, and, hey, let's put it on, you know, another pain reliever as well. And let's put it on an um, anti-emetic drug or or an anti-nausea drug because perhaps maybe they're feeling a bit nauseous with it. And so they've been blasted with all these medications. and, And if that animal responds and the head tilt magically disappears, then then. How do we know which one or all of those things were causing it or whether it was just a tincture of time, Mark, that helped?
0: It is the paradox of um, veterinary science because you do want to always be action man or woman. You want to be that person that's um, doing something to solve the problem. But I do think that there are certain situations where um, the best course of action is to uh, build the trust of the client with, about your understanding of the condition, and then allow some time um, and maybe exercise one of those treatment options. Um, uh, keep the rabbit eating with an anti nausea, or choose to use an anti inflammatory. Um, but throwing the, I do worry, much like you, that the shotgun approach raises the likelihood of an adverse reaction to one of the treatments um, that you've applied are much beyond the risk of the disease itself, yes,
1: yes, gain the trust of the client before you get the brain out of their rabbit mark <laughs> that exactly clear right that's my approach as well yeah it's, it's it's tricky, and I know and you know we might end up with a some hate mail for this one mark um but because I know there's a a reasonable number of veterinarians and exotic veterinarians as well who who will routinely um Dispense fembendazole or albendazole or one of those equivalent medications um, routinely to these, to these robots with the head tilt. Um, and that's a standard treatment. But personally, I'm, I'm the opposite with these. I, I tend to steer clear of it. And I don't think that my, the recovery rates are any, any less than, than, um, than the ones where they are. Giving every every patient that medication, um, so I think it's getting back to what you sort of mentioned halfway through my ramble, Mark, is that yeah, it's it's looking for the other causes, um, is and and if you find the other causes, then you obviously um, um, treat or or try and address those as best you can. Um, Doing that serology too, and if you do get a negative e-cuniculi, that's telling you a hell of a lot more than a positive. So it means that the chance of e-cuniculi causing that head tilt is, is drastically reduced um, and that perhaps it, it, it is something completely different. Um, and and not jump into the, yeah, let's pull out the panicure um, or the fenbendazole um, and, and, and dispense the 28-day dose
0: mark um, with them. And I've got one more. Um, this is a, a cry for help, Brendan, a, a shout out to our listeners to make sure that um, that they don't let those cases go once the animal has passed away and to pursue um you know, histopathology, to pursue the diagnostics even after the animal has passed away so that we can build a bank of data about these things. Um, I think that's another part of the problem that... Um, and we're just as guilty as anyone. I'm not blaming anyone, but um, we we tend to um, throw everything at them, um, uh, have them get better or worse, um, make sure the ones that get worse aren't suffering, um, and then... Move on once they've passed away, and and I think that's a time where um, just getting that, um, for example, getting that brain out and and making sure that it's it's had a look at, um, getting histopathology necropsies done, even just um, a gross pro- post mortem, so that you've had a look at the details of the um, tympanic bulla and you're confident about what's going on there. I think those are things that I'd, I'd seriously encourage our listeners to pursue
1: yes yes and it's a perfect project isn't it Um, somebody getting stuck in and doing a phd in a canicula in rabbits and um, nutting out the answer mark and working out that um, yep brendan and mark were wrong again (laughs) and here's the dose rate for Fembendazole and it's Twenty-eight days. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a tricky one, isn't it, Mark? It, it's and it's it's a topic we've had in the back of our minds to chat about for one hundred eighty-three episodes, and um, before we've actually added it here because it's a it's a bit of a gnarly one, isn't it, Mark? It's a bit of a tricky one, but it was a, it's an important one for us to at least talk about the. The difficulties of it for everything from the the, you know the signs and um to the to the workup and the diagnosis and certainly the treatment as well. Um, and and briefly before we stop, Mark, um, uh, uh, ancillary sort of treatments and and um um, processes and things you can do to help those rabbits, Mark. Um, I'll just mention a couple there, and one one is the obvious one, but it's amazing um, how important this one is, and that's just stopping the rabbits getting into trouble so early on with any rabbit that has those severe head tilts um, and often the nystagmus will do that rolling where they do the the classic um, the flipping flipping over several times and it's just just walking the clients through the process of you know um, towels and, and and blankets and padding those those animals so they can sit quietly and i'd I, Never kept it, but I had a great client at one stage where the bonded rabbit that um, they made this little donut of of towels to to hold up the rabbit um, that had the head tilt to stop it flipping um, during the initial stages before the fenbendazole kicked in, um, and they um, the bonded rabbit um, was obviously with it all the time, and um, at one stage it. It, it managed to flip itself out and jump out of the little donut of, of towels, and the owners brought in this video showing the bonded rabbit that didn't have the head tilt, um, gently shuffling the rabbit back into the the towel mark and supporting the rabbit. So it's pretty amazing that it that it knew that it was having that little that little episode there and that it needed to be um, just helped. And it just shows you how how important it is for a rabbit and why we recommend rabbits to have a bonded partner. Now, any other sort of processes, Mark, that you recommend, um, apart from that physical sort of help, um, stopping them getting into trouble and, and a big secondary condition that we end up having is we have problems with that down eye don't we the eye that's that's pointed towards the ground often gets smashed around and we end up with conjunctivitis and or corneal ulceration so we're really cognizant of of warning the clients that they need to you know um, keep a watch on that and, and potentially using some eye lubricant during that initial phases anyway Anything else you've got to add, Mark? Um, what do you think? Well, I'm going to ask one one thing for you before we close. I know I said we'd be, be punchy today. Um, what's your thoughts? And you did mention it briefly. Um, um, it's a bit of a loaded question, this one. What is your thought on the anti-nausea drugs for this condition, and do they work in
0: rabbits? Yeah. Um, I reckon we're going through – I reckon there's this thing in veterinary medicine, and I, like I said before, I'm, I'm not saying I'm immune to it. I'm as guilty of it as anyone. But there's fashion. There is fashion in our science. Um, and one of the fashions at the moment is the magic of maropotent, Um, that um, substance P inhibition apparently cures everything. Um and I think there are definitely many, many circumstances outside the very strict registered use for Mar-O-Potent. Um, But I think that we just have to be a little bit careful about um, splashing it around excessively. Um, and particularly in um, small animals, obviously if we're suppressing um, you know, our dogs and cats. If we're suppressing vomiting in a patient that is obstructed or whatever, we're going to make things much worse. So, I just sound a note of caution about it. But I do have to say that um, in those patients that uh, that we find have a. Um, uh, um, uh, 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 torticollis, head tilt, um, rolling around. Um, I do think it's justifiable to uh, use um, some of those medications that um, that are likely to decrease the sense of nausea, whether it's, what's the other one that does it? Meclizine. Um, myropotent. I don't know that I get too much joy from uh, metoclopramide. I probably don't use that anymore, but um, I definitely will use those other drugs. Um, I don't think that they do any damage. So short answer to your question, I don't know. Don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, I but I actually- have less trouble with them than I do with fenbendazole, that's for sure. Yes,
1: yes. I think they're certainly... Not likely to be toxic there. Um, my, my concern with them is that they may not do much, if anything, at all. Um, I did a little bit of a literature search for meclosine, Mark, and it certainly is as an anti-nausea in many species, but there were a few articles, a few published papers on on rabbits, um, and I did this search a couple of weeks ago, actually. Um, and, yeah, it, the jury was there. It was sort of saying that, it was unlikely that um, it was questioning whether or not rabbits would have a, uh, would feel nausea in the first place, and and whether these drugs would would help. So,
0: uh, and there is a little bit of a sensation thing, isn't it that that meclizine works with vertigo, that spinning sensation. Yes, I don't know that um, that these rabbits. I think their head's not necessarily spinning as much as up is just over there. Um, And when they move over there, up has moved a little bit further. Um, I'm unconvinced, um, you know, we can't talk to them and ask them whether they have vertigo. Um, And I I don't know that it's unreasonable to assume that they have some degree of vertigo. Whether mechelazin has the same effect in their mind as it has in humans, I don't know. Yes.
1: We have gone on a little bit too long mark um,
0: it's all gray brendan like my beard
1: it's all gray um it's all gray mr outros here we better get out of here and don't forget to send an email vetgurus@gmail.com, and you will enter the giveaway talk to you soon
0: thanks for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus